Welcome back to To The Point at the Wilson Center's Latin American program. I am your host, Benjamin Gadam. Today, Anya Prusa, Senior Associate at the Wilson Center's Brazil Institute, joins me to discuss the controversial approach to COVID-19 in Brazil and how rapid spread in Brazil's border regions is impacting its South American neighbors. Anya, thank you so much for coming on To The Point. It's my pleasure to be here. As everyone knows, Brazil is one of the hotspots in a region that is the global hotspot for COVID-19. The country is seeing approximately a thousand deaths per day. The region as a whole accounts for about half the world's deaths and 22% of those come from Brazil alone. In all, Johns Hopkins calculates that Brazil has seen 108,000 deaths and 3.4 million cases of the coronavirus. Anya, what went wrong in Brazil? Well, Brazil obviously is a continental-sized country, and so there was a lot of travel, right, between Brazil and Asia and Europe. And so it had these connections to some of the early hotspots. Um, and so Brazil was one of the first countries in Latin America to actually see cases. And that was part of the problem. But once coronavirus arrived in Brazil, the government did not respond effectively. And so what you saw were that those initial cases spiraled um, because the government at the federal level continuously downplayed the severity of the crisis and did not form a coherent strategy to really fight the spread of the virus um, alongside the state governors. You mentioned, Anya, that it's a continent-sized country, and that may give the sense that, okay, obviously coronavirus will have in absolute terms quite an impact in a place of that scale. But I think it's important to point out that its mismanagement, as you've described it, has had a particularly vicious impact within Brazil. So if you look at the death rate per million uh, residents, Brazil, for example, at 440 is double the level in, in neighboring Colombia. So it isn't simply that we see big numbers because it's a big place. Yes, and that's really important to point out, especially when you dive in and look at some of the states themselves. If you look at the state of Horaima, for example, one in 14 people are confirmed to have had or currently have coronavirus. Um, you know, in the state of Amazonas, uh, which has the capital of Manaus, the biggest city in the Amazon, you know, that number is one in 36 people are confirmed coronavirus cases. And so these numbers are staggering. And what we see is that as the numbers have ticked up, right, rather than a, a sort of coherent national-led effort to do contact tracing, to get testing ramped up and really make sure that at the state, at the local and at the federal level, Everyone involved in the public health sector understood what was going on and could send the resources where they were needed. Um, instead, we saw arguments. We saw you know, divisions between the federal and the state level um, where there was political fights going on. We saw at the federal level that the government led by Jair Bolsonaro, who's the president, consistently doubling down and saying that this was not going to be a severe crisis. And that in fact, Brazil shouldn't focus so much on the public health crisis and should instead be focusing on the economic fallout and managing that. And so early on in the pandemic, in April, in May, there was really this missed opportunity to get ahead of the virus and to keep it from escalating. And that didn't happen, right? We saw, you know, June and July, the case numbers just exploded until Brazil right now has over 3 million cases. Um, that's the second highest number globally. And if you look per capita, it's also quite severe. Yeah, and again, this is not sort of a story of a fumbled initial response that eventually was realigned. I mean, even despite the president himself 
you know, coming down with the coronavirus and then later recovering from it, we've not really seen any cohesive national response to this day. And in fact, you mentioned testing, which is, of course, critical for any national effort. It's now, I think, about 41 per 100,000, which is relatively low within Latin America. Yes, Brazil has consistently been behind when it comes to testing. And although the government has talked about testing, it has not been a priority if you're looking at where the funding is going and where the efforts are going. And part of this is because, you know, within the health ministry itself, there has been a lot of turnover, right? Bolsonaro went through two ministers of health um, early on in this crisis. He's now settled on a third who is an acting minister, um, comes from the military, has no public health background. Um, and so really within the ministry itself, we've seen, you know, an exodus of, of more technical public health related professionals. Um, and that itself has also impeded the response because every time a new minister comes in, they bring, you know, their own staff. And so you're seeing this transition um, of staffs and, and it takes a while for each new team to get up to speed. Um, and so there has been this sense of disorganization, of, of chaos even. Um, and the end result has been that there has not been a coherent federal government-led effort um, to make sure that testing is happening, to make sure that contact tracing is happening. And in some ways, this is incredibly tragic because Brazil has an incredibly large public health system, one of the largest public health systems in the world. And they have excellent primary level care. There are clinics spread out in communities across Brazil. And so Brazil had the infrastructure on the ground to actually do contact tracing and to get testing into communities, urban and rural, um, but it did not take advantage of this. And it's worth noting that, I mean, countries within the region, nearby countries such as Chile, have uh, you know, obtained much higher levels of testing, nearly double. I think in Chile, it's 86 per 100,000. So even though Chile has suffered from quite a high rate of infection, they've shown that countries in the region have the capability to properly test and make sure you have a sense of, of what direction the infection is heading in. Listen, I, I wanted to talk about some other consequences of this outbreak that I think don't get quite enough attention. Uh, the disorganization in the national plan, the fact that the senior health authorities keep turning over, I would imagine make it difficult to coordinate with Brazil for countries that might also be impacted by Brazil's outbreak. And of course, here I'm talking about Brazil's many neighbors. You mentioned Brazil is a continent-sized country, but it is on a continent with other countries. Um, and some of those neighbors have been doing a much better job and presumably are feeling a bit uncomfortable being so near one of the world's worst Outbreaks. You wrote a recent piece at the Wilson Center um, that I co-authored as well on this subject, talking about the contagion, this spillover effect. Before we get into the details, just give me a little bit of geography. Who borders Brazil and who actually borders Brazil with their populations versus, um, you know, underpopulated rural areas, the Amazonian jungle? Tell me, what's the, the setup in South America? So Brazil actually has the third largest land border in the world um, after China and Russia, over 10,000 miles. And it touches 10 countries. So that's every country in South America, um, except for Chile and Ecuador. So when you're talking about the spillover effects, right, Brazil um, borders many, many countries. And, and all of them, to varying degrees, are feeling the effects um, of COVID-19 spilling over from Brazil. Obviously, Brazil is more populous if you're looking at the southern regions and central Brazil. So, you know, the states that border Uruguay, Paraguay, Argentina, um, you know, there are more people there. But at the same time, the per capita COVID-19 case count is lower. Um, if you're looking at 
you know, the Amazon region, so the northern states, right, that border Colombia, Venezuela, um, French Guiana, Suriname, the per capita case count is much higher. Again, you're looking at, you know, one out of every 30 people, roughly, in some of these places. Um, Obviously, there are far fewer people in these regions, right? It's in the Amazon, the towns are smaller. Um, but to some extent, that means that Brazilian border towns in these areas often have closer connections with the neighboring country than they do with Brazil itself. Um, so in Roraima, for example, you'll have cities on the border with Venezuela where they are actually you know, not that connected to Brazil itself. They're getting electricity from Venezuela and a lot of um, their interactions, you know, markets, buying goods and stuff, they're, they're going across the border to do this. Um, so there's this history, this legacy of, of daily cross-border transactions. Um, and so even though you know, per capita, there are fewer people living there, um, we are still seeing this high level of engagement between Brazilians and Venezuelans or between Brazilians and Colombians. Um, and this certainly presents a problem when you're looking at a disease that is highly contagious. So what we've heard and read in your excellent piece was that there is some decoupling though going on, that even in the Southern areas where you've talked about, you know, major population centers, great economic uh, interdependence, Brazil being Argentina's major trading partner, you've seen to, you know, the militarization of borders in Colombia, you've seen the closure of borders in Uruguay and in Argentina and Paraguay as well, um, affecting commerce, affecting you know, families and cultural connections. Were you surprised at how quickly these very fluid borders simply shut down? I think it's unprecedented in many ways. Um, and I think that's a testament to the threat that COVID-19 poses, right? Um, that this was something unknown and that there was this real sense of urgency as governments you know, in Uruguay, Paraguay, Argentina were looking at Brazil and they were seeing that the Brazilian government was not handling this in a way that inspired confidence. And so for them, then the only option was to close that border. Before we conclude, I just wonder if there is any you know, political or economic legacy that we may see coming out of the coronavirus in South America from the relationships that you've described. In the sort of big global picture, we've heard of maybe economic decoupling from China, the nearshoring of manufacturing maybe to Mexico out of East Asia. Do you think that after the pandemic, things go back to normal or is there some political tensions, economic alienation, cultural disconnect that might linger after you know, these countries in the region have had this experience of, of real separation that, as you've pointed out, we've rarely, if ever, seen before. I think it has the potential to um, exacerbate maybe some trends or, or feelings that were already there. Um, you know, countries like Uruguay and Paraguay already had an outsized dependence on Brazil. And I think they were already looking at ways of, of how do we become less reliant right, on our neighbor. And I think that trend could accelerate, right? Um, where they will increasingly look for other economic partners. Argentina, obviously a new president there, um, more on the leftist bent. Um, and so I, I think you could see that the tension between Brazil and Argentina, between Bolsonaro and Fernandez, could be exacerbated because of their divergent um, approaches to handling the coronavirus crisis. So I think in some ways there could be some shifts you know, at the end of the day, Brazil is still going to be a huge economic player in South America. And so I think there will still be a need for relationships between Brazil and between the other countries. Um, but this certainly could have a lingering impact on the nature of those relationships. 
And clearly this has not been positive for the Brazilian economy. And so that might have a similar effect on its neighbors in terms of commerce as Brazil doesn't provide any tailwinds for the economic recuperation of some of its key trading partners. Anya Prusa, senior associate at the Brazil Institute at the Wilson Center, a colleague of mine and the co-author of a recent piece looking at the contagion from Brazil's outbreak in the rest of South America. Thank you so much for joining us on To The Point. Thank you, Benjamin. It's a pleasure. This episode of To The Point was produced and edited by Oscar Cruz. For more on this subject, visit our website, www.wilsoncenter.org. Thanks for listening.